Hi, dear listeners, and welcome back to today's show. On today's podcast, we have Catherine, a licensed social worker who works with people struggling with borderline personality disorder, complex PTSD, and addiction. She loves teaching about mental health and is dedicated to fighting the stigma associated with BPD. We will be discussing invalidation. What is invalidation? What is an invalidating environment? The difference between abuse, neglect, and invalidation, and more. So without further ado, welcome, Catherine. Hi, and welcome to the BPD Bravery Show, where we discuss tips, strategies, struggles, triumphs, and success stories related to borderline personality disorder. Here is your host, Faye Green. All right, so let's get into it. Invalidation. I love that topic. And that's because I was not very aware of my environments. I started doing research, like in validating environments. It was only about a year ago when I started realizing that it plays a very, very big role. Um, mm-hmm. in so let's discuss what is invalidation. Invalidation is when you are made to feel like your thoughts or experiences don't count or like they're incorrect. So a good example might be, you know, a child falls and they hurt themselves, but it's not a big, it's nothing's broken, nothing's bleeding. And an adult might handle that by saying, stop crying, there's nothing wrong with you. That would be invalidating to the child because the child's in pain, but an adult is saying, no, you're not. Your pain isn't big enough, it doesn't matter. You know, stop bothering me with this. So one thing I want to point out is that people invalidate each other all the time. Invalidation itself is not abuse. It's just something that happens naturally when two people are interacting because we can't always be in tune with everybody all the time. That's just not possible. Where it becomes the invalidating environment and it becomes part of the recipe that makes borderline personality disorder is when it is pervasive and the person who is being invalidated isn't getting validated very often or at all by their environment. Mm. Now, okay, so you mentioned abuse. I know people like to jump to abuse and label a lot of things abuse very easily. But there's also, which I feel like is not spoken about, is neglect, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes an environment, a person didn't experience as much it's not really abuse, but it's more neglect. Or mm-hmm. is there a difference? That's what I think. I think that sometimes it's not really abuse, but it's it's neglect. Yeah. It's not, or is neglect the same a synonym for invalidation? So I can I can sort of help sort out what those three different terms are. There's overlap between them, but they're not the same. So think of abuse as an action that is done that causes harm to another person. So you can abuse somebody by physically harming them. You can abuse somebody by sexually harming them. You can abuse somebody by financially harming them, right? When, when, uh, when you're working with elderly folks, there is a, something called financial abuse that we're also mandatory reporters for, not just child abuse. Mm-hmm. So abuse is an action. Uh-huh. Neglect, is, is, neglect is essentially that somebody is not providing a need to a dependent person. So typically that would be a parent and child, but it could be 
somebody else in a position of power and child, or it could be somebody in a position of power over a disabled adult who wasn't able to meet their needs on their own. But in neglect, it's the action of not meeting the need that is creating the harm. So sometimes abuse and neglect are the, like, sometimes they overlap and one action could be considered both. But when we're talking neglect, we're talking more, there wasn't food, not like somebody snatched food away from you, but there simply wasn't food. Or the parents had an opportunity to be warm and compassionate and to validate a child's emotions and they didn't because of whatever, they don't have the skills or they didn't notice or they were overwhelmed or they were sick or whatever. Oh. So you can, an abusive person can also neglect a child, right? You can have both, but neglect means the absence of meeting a need. Does that clarify? Yeah, I'm thinking like emotional neglect, right? Mm -hmm. You did not get any love the parents weren't around, that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't do anything to you. They just didn't provide what you needed. Correct. So emotional abuse is calling somebody insulting names. It's putting somebody down. It's purposefully trying to make them doubt themselves. That's emotional abuse. Emotional neglect is simply not responding to somebody's emotional needs. They can both be done by the same person. You can grow up in a household that is both emotionally abusive and emotionally neglectful. I don't want to get super hung up on where you draw the line because there isn't a clear line in between them. There is a lot of overlap, but they also are distinct terms that warrant, uh, you know, they don't mean the same thing. So I think it's worth pausing to explain. But I also notice that people tend to get really fixated on, okay, well, if that's the definition, then what does this exact scenario fall under? Is it abuse or neglect? I actually don't think that's a very useful conversation to have because it's not, you know, it's not addressing how the thing made you feel and what you are doing to recover from it. It's just stuck in what do I label this thing that happened in the past? Right. And it's not like helping you move forward in any way, right. shape or form. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I took a sneak peek on your website and I saw this. And I've never seen this before. And I was like, damn, that's that that's super accurate. And I don't know if this theory has been around for a long time, but like the invalidating um, cycle, the cycle mm -hmm. of invalidation, that is such that that was such a great portrayal of how it works. Do you want to explain it? Sure. And thank you for the compliment. Um, I don't think I had ever seen it presented in a step by step format. But there is a lot of, I, I didn't invent the concept that an invalidating environment is self-fulfilling. That's certainly not my own invention, but I think I was the first person to put it in a circular infographic. <laughs> okay. I was like, wow, I've never seen this before. And that's great. Yeah. So how does it work? Like, where does it start? Or, or it's just sure. a circle, chicken of the head kind of thing. <laughs> so if I'm specifically talking about an invalidating environment for somebody that has BPD, I'm not talking about, you know, I want cookies for dessert tonight. My husband wants cake and he's invalidating me because he's not honoring my need for cookies. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about in a scenario that is going to uh, cause somebody to develop borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. So 
Folks who have BPD tend to be more emotionally sensitive. They tend to experience their feelings more intensely and take a longer time to return down to baseline after something stressful happens. Because of that, they tend to not respond as well to the emotion regulation strategies that other people use. So you might tell a child to take a deep breath and stop crying. And some children can do that. And some children can't. For some children, taking a deep breath is not enough to help them calm down, right? For folks with BPD, their emotions are really big. The people who have been trying to help them regulate their emotions have not been able to provide something that works with the kit for the child. And what the child is left with is not only do they still have these really intense emotions, they also now have the knowledge that the people around them are judging those emotions negatively. Mm. So to it's easiest, I think, to illustrate it with an example of... Um, Two kids are playing and kid A steals the other kid's toy, right? And so the kid whose toy has been stolen is crying and crying and crying. He's having this overwhelming emotion. And the, the kid does not have the coping skills to regulate this emotion by themselves. So the parent comes up to the kid and says, hey, why are you crying? And the kid says, my, my toy was stolen. And the parent says, go get it back then. Why are you wasting my time with this? Right, and that's not necessarily an abusive parent. That could be a really stressed out parent. That could be a parent who's dealt with this issue 17 times already today. Right? But we have an exquisitely sensitive child here who can't stop crying, who's now being told, hey, I don't really care about this problem. It's not as serious as you're making it out to be. Please leave me alone. Your problem is bothering me. So now the kid, still upset about losing the toy, and now hasn't gotten the emotional response that they needed. They've been told that their emotions are invalid. So what does that do? It makes the negative emotion stronger and it makes them more likely to do something that is going to get a reaction. So at this point, a child might either learn to completely shut down because no one's gonna pay attention to them crying anyway, or they're gonna learn that they need to take it to the next level. They need to throw a tantrum. They need to have a meltdown because maybe somebody will come and help them get their toy back when they have a meltdown. The next time this happens, right? Because kids will be kids and there's years and years of these things. The next time this happens, the child already has a memory of, I was really upset the last time this happened and nobody helped me. So I should either act like I'm not upset or instantly go to full tantrum mode so that someone will come and help me. Oh, wow. It's a fight or flight, you know, kind of similar mm -hmm. to what it's like, either you shut down. Mm -hmm. But either way, whether you shut down or whether you tantrum, the adults around you are still going to tell you that that's not the appropriate response. And that's what makes it an invalidating environment is that the child is trying their best doesn't quite understand the rules, can't regulate their own feelings. So everything they try to do is met with disapproval, is met with criticism, is met with nothing. The adults may just totally ignore it. Wow, and that would be an invalidating environment mm -hmm. versus not an abusive environment, right? I mean, I guess it depends right. what the what the scenario is. Right, I mean, you. that was an illustration of something that could very easily happen in an invalidating environment. 
whether the overall environment is abusive or not would depend on examples, you know, would depend on stuff that wasn't included in the example. And emotional neglect is a pattern. It's not one instance where someone isn't able to meet their child's needs, right? I'm not a parent myself, but everybody that I know that has had a baby, it is impossible to meet 100% of the baby's needs 100% of the time, right? You've got to sleep. You have to, you know, sometimes you have a cranky baby and you don't know what's wrong. Um, so when we talk about neglect, it's not one time when somebody didn't meet a need. It's never being able to meet that need. It's a pattern where more often than not, that need isn't met. So what about like an entire community being a certain way? There can absolutely be systemic invalidation. So for example, if somebody has a physical disability, um, I, mm -hmm. I, I'm from the U.S., I used to live in the U.S., but I currently live in Europe, right? There are a lot mm -hmm. of places in Europe that you can't go if you have a wheelchair. You just... The buildings are too old, the stairways are too narrow, there's no space for an elevator or a ramp, so you just can't go, right? It would be potentially, right, because it's not just invalidation that makes up BPD, but invalidation is part of what makes up BPD. It could potentially be considered an invalidating environment if someone was in a wheelchair and lived in an old city in Europe and couldn't really get around. Right. They have valid needs and valid wants to go shopping and go out to eat just like everybody else, and they can't. And they're continually being told that they're not important enough to be included in these things. Right? Racism is invalidating. If you grow up as a person of a minority group and you're discriminated against for nothing that it doesn't have anything to do with who you are as a person, and it has to do with how the community or the culture is set up, that's invalidating, right? So even if you may have perfectly great parents, you can be invalidated by the larger community in which you live. Say so you go to school and everyone's and a lot of, you know, picking on you or... Bullying is invalidating. And I'm assuming that could contribute to mm -hmm. BPD. Damn. So again, none of this is, you know, this isn't to say every child that is bullied is going to grow up to have BPD. No, it has to be a mix of the predisposition to have the big feelings and also more invalidation than not, right? If you're bullied at school, but you have really loving parents who help you manage those emotions, it's going to be a horrible experience to be bullied at school. I'm not saying it's going to be okay, but it's less likely to lead to BPD then if you're bullied at school and you're facing ableism and your caretakers are not able to be emotionally supportive. So does it mean that like the family or the system is responsible for BPD? I think that like, if you look in a cause and effect term, then mm -hmm. the environment is one of the causes, right? The other cause being, we know there's some kind of genetic component to BPD because we know it's more common in twins. Uh, we know first degree relatives have higher rates than other members of the community. So we know there's something going on in your genetics that make you sensitive and impulsive if you have BPD. Um, doesn't explain 100% of BPD, but it explains a lot. <laughs> um, you have to have that first. 
And then you have the environment that is consistently invalidating. Now, a super, 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 super sensitive person may not need that much invalidation to cross the line into BPD. But usually we'd say it's, you know, half and half, 60, 40, one way or the other between your genetics and your environment. Oh, it sucks to be sensitive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'm like, why am I like that way? Because I... I remember when I was seven years old and I, I realized at that point that I'm a lot more sensitive than others. I like, mm -hmm. I knew it. I, I saw it, you know, around me. And I remember laying on the floor crying and I'm like, why am I this? Why am I, why does, I didn't know how to put it into words, but it's like, why do things hurt me more than it hurts mm -hmm. others? That's how yeah. I saw it. I felt like I feel everything more intensely. Mm -hmm. And, I remember crying and I, again, I had no idea what BPD is or even like sensitivity. I just, I was like, I don't want to be this way. And then I thought I had this little like thought in my head. It's like, you know, to make it into a positive and it's like, oh, you know, look, you know, you feel things more. Maybe you're special. And I'm like, and then I had this conversation in my brain and it's like, no, I don't want to feel special. I just don't want to feel this way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but that was, you know, realizing that I do feel like I'm I think that's when I started realizing that I'm a little bit I want to say different I don't I don't like that word but I feel things differently than others and I cannot remember what it was that made me aware of it um so yeah but then again you can use it for the good too right Absolutely. you know what they say take your take whatever you're struggling with and make it into your superpower you know you have BPD and you tell your parents about it and they're like no um you don't have it it's in your head mental illness doesn't exist etc so i'm assuming that's also like invalidation feeding into like continuing the cycle right and there's there are a lot of reasons why parents might not accept a diagnosis of bpd for their child many people just simply don't believe in mental illness um their religious beliefs or their cultural beliefs just don't include a model of mental illness. And there's also a lot of stigma about people with BPD having BPD because of their parents. There was a belief that was held for decades that the cause of BPD was bad mothers. We know that that's not true. There are absolutely people with BPD who had abusive family environments, so I don't want to exclude those people from the discussion, but it's not a necessary component of BPD. You can have BPD and have perfectly good parents. So what we don't want to do is say that all parents of people with BPD were abusive because we don't actually know that and there's not evidence for that. But parents may reject that diagnosis because they think they're being blamed. I'm assuming it's like older teachings, like teachings from 60 years ago or? Yeah, there's there's definitely the older teachings about BPD being caused by bad parenting. And there are a lot of people with BPD who did grow up in abusive households, right? We were talking earlier about what's the difference between abuse, neglect, and invalidation. Well, if you grow up in an abusive household, you're absolutely being invalidated. Right. Not all invalidation is abuse, but abuse is always invalidating. Yeah. So there are lots of people who grew up in households where their parents were abusive 
And their reaction to the not all parents of people with BPD are abusive is to feel invalidated by that, right? Well, my parents were abusive. Why am I not included in the narrative? It's a, it's a tough balance because there are lots of people who were abused by their parents, whose stories are important, whose voices matter. And we don't want to alienate the parents and family members who are not abusive who can be really helpful in their loved one's recovery. So how do you balance letting some people tell their story about you know, the horrible things that happened to them because their stories are important without making it sound like it's a universal experience because it's not? That's a good one. Just not putting it into boxes, black or white. It's this mm -hmm. or it's that, right? That's important. You got a ton of information. Um, I love your, no, your Instagram page. I've been following you for quite some time. Thank it's you. one of the most informative pages. I work hard on uh, But it's, it's like, you could see, it's not like just like, oh, people just put out like a meme or something. It's like, it's informative. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. Thank you for doing it. Cause yeah. it's important and it's so helpful. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's filled with knowledge. It's definitely been important to me on my professional journey to, I want to make quality, non-judgmental information about BPD available to the public, right? Like, yes, I'm a therapist, but I want to have a broader reach than just the work that I can do one-on-one -on -one with clients. So the Instagram is really important to me as a way of sharing accurate, helpful information because I know that when people just type BPD into Google, they could get anything. Um, and I want to be a place where people know they can go to get what's accurate. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us on today's BPD Bravery Show. If you've enjoyed it, then like, share, and subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure to tune into our show every Monday and Friday. And remember, you are so much more than your BPD.